and months, we've been um, starting a new series in 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue that series uh, uh, in the coming days. So if you want to follow the reading, it's from Corinthians uh, chapter 3. And many of our messages overlap slightly because uh, Paul, when he wrote his letter, didn't just break it up neatly for 21st century preachers. So um, we're going to just go over a few things um, as we go through the passage. But um, we're starting in verse 3 of chapter 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's fellow workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Let's just pray. Father, we want to be a people of word and spirit. And we thank you that we have the Bible in our hands and we can read it and study it together. We can read it in our homes, in our quiet times and places. We pray that you continue to feed us and make us. Make us a church, Lord, that you can use more and more. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to show you a picture. Does anyone know what this building is? It's in Pisa, that's right. It's the cathedral in Pisa. Not really known for the cathedral, but for the bell tower. 
And uh, we have a close-up of the bell tower. There it is. Anyone been? Gosh! Did you walk right to the top? Anyone walk right to the top? Are you allowed to? One has walked. You were. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not saying you go next week, because I uh, <laughs> might not get there. I was um, just uh, doing some research, obviously on Google, um, about um, the cathedral. And uh, it said that nobody knows for sure who laid the foundation, which is probably a good thing. It's probably the most famous building or most famous example of either faulty foundation laying or dodgy building works. And it's known for its four degree lean. Some people have argued that the foundations were good, but it was later builders who were not wise in what they built on top of the foundation. And that during the building... It began to lean. It was noticed as they got to the second floor in building it. And then apparently they halted construction for 50-odd years, allowing the foundations to settle and uh, strengthen them. Otherwise, it would have toppled over. So that's the sort of um, travel brochure for this morning. Why am I using that as an illustration for 1 Corinthians? I hope you can guess. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It's a church he loves. He planted the church there, and he spent 18 months there, one of the longest periods of time he spent in one place, teaching and preaching, establishing um, the new believers there. And he's writing later, as he has heard reports about what's going on in the church. And as we will uh, go through this letter, there are lots of things going on in the church in Corinth. And he hears that the church is in danger of toppling over. It's leaning precariously. And one of the faults that he identifies is factions within the church. We've already heard about it in chapter 1, about people saying, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, and then the others saying, well, we follow Jesus Christ. But they were just as at fault as the others, because they were putting everyone else down in their sort of superiority. There were sort of worldly divisions that Paul identifies, and he says these divisions stand as witnesses against them. So Paul writes to the church to remind them that the church worldwide, yes, and the church local in Corinth or in Chipping Camden, belongs first and foremost to Jesus. And that our task as a church is to serve him. We want to be a church that God can continue to use. A church that God delights to use. And therefore we recognize and we agree with Paul there can be no other foundation other than the one already laid. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That if they take their eyes off him for a moment or build on any other foundation it will collapse. 
Teachers were coming through Corinth. Wisdom teachers saying, well, Jesus is okay, but there's much more that you need. That's just the beginning point. And Paul has to remind them, no, that's it. It's all about Jesus. His death and his resurrection. If they take their eyes off him or build on any other foundation, it will collapse. It reminded me of Jesus' parable about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. So we picked up from last week and verse 5, we we noticed that where we expect the, the word who, we get the word what. He doesn't say who is Apollos. Or who is Paul? Which he could have done. But he says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? And he says, only servants. It takes attention away from the person to the role that they fulfilled. Paul is clear that both him and Apollos, and they were sort of gathering points for factions within the church. Yes, they were used by God, and many of the believers came to faith because of them, but they're only servants. And the word that Paul uses is not the word slave, uh, doulos, but he uses a different word. And it it, it gives the impression of um, someone who waits on tables, a servant. If you want to have a waiter in your mind, you can have that. We wait at table to serve you. We serve the good news. We serve Jesus. Both of us, says Paul, are assigned by the Lord. I don't know if you ever go to a posh restaurant and uh, you have a lovely meal and you want to, you know, say a thank you to, who do you thank? You normally thank the waiter, but you don't say thank you for cooking me a lovely meal. It was wonderful because you know he probably hasn't cooked it. He or she has just come to serve you. And whether that service may be good or bad, we appreciate that. You can leave a good tip or not. But I've said it in the past. Would you give our thanks to the chef for this amazing meal? Compliments to the chef. Paul right, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. God makes it grow. And that mystery that God does when he transforms lives and he brings new things and he forgives and he restores, only God can do that. Paul will and he does recognize that leadership is important and it carries huge responsibility and and leaders will be brought to account for the way that they lead. But without God's power... There's nothing. Unless they're building on the right foundation, there's nothing. That foundation is Jesus, who he is, what he's done. Without doubt, if you read about Paul and his life, there is no one, I guess, who worked harder to further the gospel. But he never, ever forgot that he was only a a fellow worker in God's service. He would be amazed that churches are named after him. The big name is Jesus. 
And any future church in Corinth would have to be in. And notice when he says you are God's field, God's building, God's temple. It's God that comes first, isn't it? Three times in verse 9, God comes first. He makes it grow, that intangible mystery. Yes, I planted it, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. But all of us, the church, have a part to play. I have been over many years asked by several people, how has Camden Baptist Church grown the way it has? Have you, have you ever, anyone ever asked you that? And we look at them sort of blankly and say, well, we don't know. God did it. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to us. So if I was to ask you who is responsible for the church's growth, who would you say was responsible for the church's growth? Don't shout out this. Is it the pastors who are responsible for the church growing? Is it the leadership team that are responsible for the church growing? Is it the membership of the church responsible for the church growing? Is it God who's responsible for the church growing? We're told in this passage, God makes things grow, but we all have a part to play. All of us have a part to play in the health of a church, in the vibrancy of a church, of that gathered community. I thank God all the time for for saints who went before us in this church. You you know, you know the story. And if you don't know the story, read our welcome brochure or go online. But it, it is a remarkable story that a church that nearly closed. God revived through the prayers of faithful saints. Met Howard, Howard Jones, who was my predecessor here. And uh, it was just great chatting to him about the life of the church and reminiscing. You know, he was here over 30 years ago. He was quite a remarkable guy. I mean, I, hands up if you were here, because I know, you know, I... I I've never seen him really in action in that sense, but preaching from the top of stairs and, you know, those kind of things and and wearing dresses and eating daffodils. And I I felt a bit kind of um, not put down in any way um, when I first came because I went to visit an elderly member of the congregation and she said to me, you, you remind me more of a proper Baptist minister. You know, and I thought I was one of the on the edge, you know, quite, you know, radicals. But no, no, it's just because I didn't eat daffodils and climb stairs and things like that. We're all responsible for the life of the fellowship. But God makes it grow. We know that. But there are things we can do. I remember coming to Chipping Hamden from a, another church where the leadership meeting was 12 wise men. And the business would go on and on and on. I remember the first leadership meeting we had here. I said, we're just going to worship for the whole evening. We're not going to deal with any business. We're just going to worship for the whole evening and just pray. And eyes came upon me. And, and I was so encouraged because everyone went, 
great. The first church vision meeting, we didn't call them vision meetings then, church meetings. I remember saying, well, we're just going to worship and we're praying. We're not going to deal with anything else right now. I remember someone coming to me and saying the meeting went on too late because we didn't start the business till 8.30. And I said, where were you at 7.30? Because the real business started at 7.30. Because we are people of worship and prayer and commitment to God. We're responsible for keeping those good things, aren't we? As a church. We've been praying for revival for 24 years. We're still praying because we haven't seen it yet. And if you want to join us on Monday, you're very welcome. And we've had ups and downs in the life of the church. We've seen incredible times where we've seen people just save. There was some times when we were seeing people save so regularly. It was just remarkable. And people ask, well, why can't you sustain that? I have no idea. No idea at all. We're preaching the gospel. We're seeking to reach out. And there are ebbs and flows in church life. We understand that. And and in Corinth, there was the same. I know that some people um, who have been dear friends of ours have left the church for different reasons. But I can tell you honestly, no one's left the church Because we've stopped keeping Jesus at the center. There are other reasons. And a myriad of reasons. And we don't kind of, you know, we we bless one another. If this church isn't for you, then there are other places that might be. We're cool with that. Paul addresses the Corinthians as worldly Because they've started to form factions in the church. Disagreements about personalities. Maybe some of it was theological. I think more of it was personality based. And Paul here just reminds the church. Be a church that God delights to use. You have a role in saving the church from subsidence. And build with good materials. And then he writes in verse 10, each one of us should build with care. And he uses agricultural imagery and architectural imagery, God's field, God's building, God's temple. And building up the church is one of Paul's favorite pictures that he uses in his letters. But he is so clear. Only a church built on Jesus will survive. And every member, every part of it brings something to the building of the church. We're part of a team. Everyone has a part to play. There's an advert that just came to me as I was thinking about this, about the moon landings, and, but it's, it focuses on the guy clearing up the rubbish at the end. I don't know if you've seen it. But every, every aspect, it wasn't just the people who did the maths. It wasn't the people who just sat at the consoles, but this, this guy just clearing up so that It can go on. Everyone has a part to play. Paul speaks of a day when the true nature of all our work, all our service will be revealed. And uh, as a a church leader, we, we, we are singled out for extra scrutiny on that day. 
the illustration Paul uses that what we build with, the materials we build with, will be tested. I don't think Paul talks here about judgment in the terms of our salvation. That's not what he's talking about. That all our works will be tested. Our salvation is about our faith in Jesus. We are secure. But he's talking about what we build will be tested. The quality of our work, the materials, the motives. And so he uses the illustration of building with gold or silver or costly stones that even though the fire comes, they will emerge. But other things like hay and straw and wood will be burnt up. I used to use an illustration, children's thing, when I used to do assemblies and things about a, a house for a lifetime it was. This really wealthy man uh, had a, an employee and he, he said, I want you to build me a house. And the employee was a little bit grumpy with his employer and he, he built the house, but he cut corners and he used rubbish materials. And, you know, he got it looking great on the outside, but, it, you know, he knew what it was built. And, and when, when he'd finished, the employer said, I've wanted to do this for so long. I've wanted to give you a property, to give you a house. And this is the house that I want to give you. And the man's face kind of falls. Build with materials that will last. It's all our responsibility. And so we challenge ourselves, each one of us. Are we building or tearing down? Are we encouraging? Are we thankful? Are we loving? Are we kind? Are we selfless? Are we humble? Are we wanting to be more like Jesus? Are we enabling others to encounter Jesus? Does what we do actually glorify Jesus? Does it promote love? And these things are gold within a church. Precious. Or are we negative? Tearing down, speaking against. I think that's what Paul means by the hay and the straw and the wood. It won't survive. We will survive because of our faith in Jesus. But Paul's challenge here is to be a church that God can use. And no doubt all of our work has kind of some mixed quality. I, I hold my hand up. Mixed quality. I'm sure some will be burnt up in the fire but I am hoping some will not. And then he ends by saying, do you not know that you are God's temple? And their idea of a temple is a, a, here that Paul paints is this community of people made for worship, to host the presence of the Lord, a place of encounter with God. Not that physical building, but we are the temple, he says. You are the temple made up of people transformed by God's love and grace. All of us works in progress, but to be a display of Jesus' power and love. And just as God's presence dwelt in that temple, the Shekinah glory, so God's spirit lives in us. So Paul, as he writes to the church, his concern is, that we build on the foundation that is Jesus, no other foundation. That we build a building for worship, 
building that can host his presence, a building, a church that God can use, a people that God can use so others can hear, see, and believe. And that's why we come to worship. Sally is going to come and the band are going to lead us as we just come before the Lord and fall before him again and say, it's all about you and it's all for you. As worship comes as we surrender and lay down our lives.